This morning, we're looking at uh, the third part of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, I tell you, this is such a, a timely and I think an important message. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to share it. We don't know a whole lot about the men that are listed in this part of the genealogy. In fact, when you get to Zerubbabel from there on, other than perhaps Joseph, who's the last, we really don't know much. <laughs> you can look up commentaries and, and see what they have to say, and basically they say, well, this individual was in uh, Matthew chapter 1's genealogy, and they're in the line of Christ. As if that's not pretty significant, right? But we don't know a whole lot about them. We don't know a whole lot about what they did. Let me read it to you. Matthew 1, 11 through 17. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. We're going to look at that more closely next week, because that's an interesting phrase. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The time frame from Josiah to Joseph is approximately 600 years. Think about that. That's a long time. It's approximately 600 years. And during that time, they were taken into exile into Babylon. This is the southern kingdom, Judah, Benjamin. They were taken into exile. They returned from exile. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt Jerusalem. And they rebuilt the wall. Daniel, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and so many others are all accounted for throughout this period of time in Israel's history. There's an intertestamental period where the Bible is silent from Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament time period with the birth of Christ. There's a lot of things that are happening on the world scene, but the, the Bible is silent. There's this waiting period. Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, Greece... The Romans are significant nations throughout this time frame. Israel has lost its significance and position and world standings being enslaved and or controlled by these kingdoms. It's a time of exile, a time of rebuilding, a time of expectation of the coming of the Messiah. The birth of Jesus is the realization of grace and truth in a way that has never been experienced before. And John chapter 1 verse 17 really speaks to that. The kingdom was ready as Christ was born at the right time. A time of need for God's grace and the fulfillment of all that he had promised. These men listed in Christ's line went through this season of, if we could call it barrenness, of strife, of exile. 
They went through a time of looking back to all that God had done for them. They looked back to the time of Egypt and God's rescuing them and his power as he had brought them out of Egypt, as he took them through the the wilderness and brought them into the promised land and all the things that God had done to reveal himself. Surely these men looked back. They understood this. You can see this in Daniel. You can see this in Nehemiah. You can see this throughout all this time frame of those who spoke and, and who were led to write scripture. They looked back and they declared the glory of God. But they also understood how their forefathers had disobeyed and now the consequences that they were now living through as a result. I'm sure they hung on to the covenants and looked with hope to the promised one, the coming of the Messiah. The fact that they kept genealogical records clearly indicates that. These men were candidates for grace, representing the whole of Israel. Candidates for grace. Folks, we're all candidates for grace. Amen? We all need grace. There's not one person here, myself included, that doesn't need grace. We need grace. Sometimes we don't think we do. Sometimes we think we have the ability, the willingness, the uh, wisdom, whatever it may be in order to do the things that are set before us. But the truth of the matter is, is we're all candidates for grace. We need God. We need the Lord. And these men are a picture, certainly, of that. This time frame within Israel's history is certainly a time frame of that. Well, starting with Josiah, who was killed by Pharaoh Necho, we see Jeconiah come on the scene, who was placed in charge by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar put him in charge. It didn't last very long. It says Shaltiel was his son, and probably Shaltiel is the grandfather of Zerubbabel, not simply the father. Sometimes in the genealogical records, they would skip a generation because the point of the matter was who that individual was from. And you can find that actually in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 17. Zerubbabel helped rebuild the temple with permission from Cyrus the Great. As I said, we don't know much about the rest of the men listed in this section of Matthew's genealogy. But let me give you three main events that took place during this time frame. The first is obviously the exile to Babylon and the return. They were exiled. They were taken into captivity. And then they returned. The second is the rebuilding of the altar and the temple. It was a monumental moment for the nation. And thirdly, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the wall, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the wall. Those three main events frame out uh, what I feel like God has put on my heart to share with you this morning. And the first aspect of that is rejection of God's word leads to the discipline of the Lord and the need for repentance. When we reject God's word, and that's exactly what the people of Israel had done, they rejected God's word. What does that lead to? It leads to the discipline of the Lord and the need for repentance. Secondly, repentance leads to a renewed relationship with God and one another. When we come before the Lord and we simply agree with him, when we allow him to change our minds and we come before him and acknowledge that he's right, It leads to a renewed relationship with him and one another. And lastly, a renewed relationship with the Lord and clearly one another leads to restored service for the Lord. 
It's absolutely indescribable how they went into exile, they were brought back, and the first thing they did was to fix the altar, to repair the altar, because the altar was the center of worship. The altar is a picture of our hearts. The altar is a picture of our relationship with God himself, and that had to be repaired first. The temple, we are the temple of God, and they had to repair that in order to make sure that they were worshiping the Lord correctly, that they were rightly related to him. And then they began to do the good work that was put before them and to serve the Lord and to rebuild the wall. It's not by accident that that took place, and it certainly speaks to us today. Rejection of God's word leads to the discipline of the Lord and the need for repentance in 605 B.C., Jeremiah prophesied concerning Babylon. He warned Israel over and over and over again, and they refused to listen. And as a result, they were in captivity for 70 years. You can find this in Jeremiah chapter 7 and uh, all through the passages, as well as Jeremiah 29. In 586 BC, Judah, conquered by Babylon, was sent into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. They had years to deal with this. Jeremiah tells them this in chapter 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Or in Jeremiah 8, where he tells them, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn away and not repent? Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. Jeremiah also prophesied about what God was going to do. He gave them not only the prophecy of what was going to happen to them as a result of them not listening to the word and chasing after foreign idols, but he also gives them the promise from the Lord of bringing them back into Jerusalem. In chapter 29, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Beautiful picture of hope, of God speaking to his people, warning them, and yet still giving them hope in the midst of discipline. Well, not only does rejection of God's word lead to the discipline of the Lord, the need for the repentance, but when there is repentance, this leads to a renewed relationship with God himself. In 539, Cyrus the great king of Persia defeated at Babylon. And one year later, he begins sending exiled Jewish people back to Jerusalem, giving them a decree to rebuild the temple, exactly in alignment with what Jeremiah had prophesied. Two years later, approximately, the temple altar is rebuilt. 
Ezra 3, 1 through 3 gives us that picture. Now, when the seventh month came and the sons of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. And then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers, the priests, and here's the man that's in the line of Christ, Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and his brothers arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. In Ezra 3, verses 8 and following, it speaks to the foundation of the temple being rebuilt. In the second year, they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. In the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who came from captivity to Jerusalem began the work and appointed the Levites from 20 years and older to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. And when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the direction of King David of Israel. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And then we're told this, yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. Here they repair the altar, they repair the foundation of the temple and those who were looking back began to weep those who had never seen it because they had been exiled and came back and now saw this new work begun they began to cry out and glorify God some began to weep because of what they saw as not being in comparison with the past some began to shout and glorify and praise the Lord because they had never experienced God was doing a new thing and folks, when God does a new thing, then we need to look forward with what the Lord has because God never repeats the old. He always moves us forward in what his will is in the future. And as we move forward with him, we get to see him do a new thing. We get to see him do new wonders, if you will. Well, there was opposition to this work. In Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Anytime God's moving, there's always going to be those who will frustrate or try to, those who will try to frighten 17 years later, in 522 B.C., Darius became king and he helped reissue the decree because the temple, had, the building had stopped. And so he helped reissue the decree to rebuild the temple based upon what Cyrus had decreed. And in Ezra 6, we see that this temple is finalized. Daniel 9 is such a beautiful passage because it's a prayer all through this we have these different stories placed within the Word of God. 
Daniel's in Babylon, and it says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. In 516 B.C., the rebuilding of the temple was completed by Zerubbabel and the rest. Repentance leads to a renewed relationship with God and certainly with one another. But lastly, a renewed relationship with the Lord leads to restored service for the Lord. When our hearts are right, when the altar is right, when the temple of God is right, when we are yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ and when we are walking with him, when we're saying yes to him, when we're surrendered to him, when we're walking by faith in him, then God in and through us begins to accomplish his purpose. He not only transforms us from within, but he begins to reveal who he is in and through our lives and the activity, the works that God has prepared for us to walk in before the foundation of the earth begin to take place as we say yes to the Lord and he empowers us to walk in them. 36 years later, In 486 B.C., Xerxes became king. This is the king who made Esther queen. And 23 years after that, Artaxerxes becomes king. 20 years later, in 444 B.C., Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall of the city. And I love Nehemiah's prayer. He was given a report about the city walls and how the gates were broken down and had been destroyed by fire and that there, was, uh, there were holes in the wall. They were open to attack. And he prays this in Nehemiah 1, 7 through 9. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, And keep my commandments and do them. Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Wow, what a prayer. It's God's honor. It's God's glory. It's what God has said and a trusting of God to accomplish his purpose in his time and in his way. Artaxerxes issues a decree for Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, and he returns, Nehemiah does, to Jerusalem, and he finds the walls as had been said to him. They're broken down. The gates are burned. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, speaking to the officials of Jerusalem of the work that needed to be done, he says this, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And then they said, listen to this, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. I love that, don't you? After much tribulation, distress, confusion, and work, and a lot of it, the wall is finished. We're told that in Nehemiah 6, verses 15 and following, the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. What a beautiful truth. 
went into exile because they would not listen to the Lord. They would not listen to the word of God. They were brought back because God is gracious. The first thing they did was repair the altar. They repaired the temple. And then they did the work of the Lord. We're all candidates for grace. All of us. Myself. Everybody sitting here is a candidate for grace. We need the Lord, don't we? Hoffmantown needs the Lord, folks. There's no question about that. God's doing a rebuilding work in our church with each and every one of us. Our hearts are the altar in which the Lord desires to do his work so that we may be available for him to serve in the way that he calls us to, leads us in. There have been a lot of trials and challenges over the last period of time. A lot. And I understand that. Uh, Been in the middle of most of it. Not by choice. This past week, the elders uh, received a registered letter questioning our leadership and expressing concern about the health of Hoffmantown Church. Evidently, there were several home meetings where people were invited to come for prayer, and then they were presented a petition to sign showing agreement with the stated concerns. Both members and non-members signed the document. There are some points the elders and church leaders absolutely agree with. The importance of evangelism. Absolutely. The desire for our membership to increase numerically. No question. The importance of being good stewards of the finances and the property. We also agree, this wasn't necessarily stated, but I think it's implied. We agree with the importance of clear and where appropriate transparent communication. The health and growth of our church are issues that have been discussed for years. There have been many discussions, many teachings, sermons, seminars, etc. on following God and walking by faith. Our seven pillars, which our leaders sign and which we present at our next step class for new members, our seven pillars lay out clearly what Paul states in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, which is, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From him means out of him. Through him means he sustains what is out of him. To him means that it's for his glory, for his honor. Jesus himself providing us the supreme example of what to follow means Stated in John chapter 5, verse 19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus makes clear that apart from me, you, meaning disciples, can do nothing. 
We are utterly and absolutely reliant upon the Lord to lead, to guide, to empower, to give wisdom, to produce the fruit. While we all desire to see fruit, we recognize and believe the Lord is the only one who can produce eternal or lasting fruit in and through our lives. He alone is able to grow us individually, to grow our church and or to grow his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Our heart attitude and our spiritual health are the primary concerns of our Lord. When we're yielded to him, he will work in and through us to produce or accomplish fruit in his way and in his time. While we agree in principle with some of the points from this petition and are deeply concerned and in prayer about the health of our church family and the salvation of the lost, there is clearly a divide regarding how we follow God or produce results. Those of you who were asked to sign this petition undoubtedly have done so in full sincerity. I know many of you, and I don't doubt that for one moment. Our primary concern is with the leaders of this petition. Having had several meetings and many, many individual conversations with the leaders of this petition, it became clear then and is now publicly evident that there is a deep disagreement regarding how we are to follow the Lord. There is a right way, a biblical way, to serve the Lord together as the family of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You can contrast this with Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And I'm not going to read the whole passage But let me point out what Paul says. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Which are? And he gives us this list. And included in this list is disputes, dissensions, and factions. The biblical way to serve together is to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Creating division or dissension within the body of Christ is not God's way. Holding meetings with the intention of building consensus to force, demand, or establish one's agenda is not from the Lord. The Word of God is very clear that creating dissension is not of the Spirit of God, but rather of the flesh, or to put it plainly, sinful. As a result, we would implore, implore, particularly the leaders of this petition, whom we have met with many times, to repent 
of this unbiblical activity and be restored into a right relationship with the Lord and this church. We would implore everyone to respond to the Lord's conviction and do so quickly in order to make sure that we all are in a right fellowship with the Lord and one another. Having said this, we desire to get engaged in a full body discussion concerning the ministries of Hoffmantown Church. We've actually been working through many issues, many issues over the last several years. We see the Lord at work in our church and through our church and not only here in Albuquerque, but literally all over the world. Hundreds have been brought to Christ through the ministries of the missions and many of you have been involved in that, whether in Romania or Burma or Uganda, all over. It's been amazing to watch. Many more have been encouraged and strengthened in the faith. Many ministries are being encouraged, even right now, and supported financially, as well as through service. We're witnessing the bringing together of many ministry efforts that have at times been painful, yet through the Lord's leadership, good and productive. We have established and are continuing to develop our ministry councils to engage our members in the ministry work the Lord raises up and leads in. We've been working with our leadership, including councils, on the overall strengths, weaknesses, threats, and opportunities in shaping our ministries as the Lord leads to meet these challenges. We're developing a remodeling team for the maintenance and renovation work that needs to be done to the property and building and more, much more. At the beginning of this year, we sensed the Lord leading us to hold several congregations, congregational meetings during the fall, starting in August, to celebrate what the Lord has done in and through Hoffman Town Church to share where we are as a church currently and to look forward as to where we sense the Lord leading. These have already been in motion. They're already being planned well before we receive this petition. Engaging our members in this discussion has always been Christ's priority as best we can discern. That's why we've said Christ-led, elder-guarded, pastor-guided, what? Body engaged, body engaged. It's essential. There's clearly still a lot of work to do. However, we're excited about where we believe the Lord is leading and working through our pastors, ministry leaders, and councils, along with the full membership of Hoffmantown to seek the Lord and follow him. And with this in mind, we would invite and encourage all of our members to prayerfully discern where the Lord is leading as we seek together to follow him in his direction for our church family. Psalm 133.1, love this verse. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers, and I would add sisters, to dwell together in unity, to preserve unity. Folks, there's a lot of different things that I could say to this. I've been here for, hard to believe, eight years. And I want to tell you something. I've seen God do so many amazing things. I've watched the Lord work in so many different ways. 
I've been strengthened in my faith. I've been encouraged. And I want to tell you this. I have never lost hope with regard to Hoffmantown Church. Ever. I hear people say all kinds of things about Hoffmantown. I'm thinking, that's not what I see God doing. That's not what I see in terms of how the Lord's at work. I hear about changed lives, and I hear about how God is working in and through us in ways that are just remarkable. Do we have a lot of work to do? Absolutely. Do we have things that we need to address? Yes, we do. And I would encourage it this way. We want to do that together. We want to encourage you. Be a part of the solution. Be a part of discerning where is God leading? What is God doing? How is God moving? And how is he inviting us to join him in what he wants to accomplish in and through this body of believers? Because he's the shepherd. He's the head. He's our leader. And we will follow him. Period. Folks, my heart is broken when I see division. And I, I want to encourage you in this. I really do. Go to the Lord about this. Seek the Lord on this. I love this statement, and it's been convicting to me many times, because as a follower of the Lord with a position of leadership, it's impacted me. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, do what? Build a team. See, I look, I look at the body of Christ and I go, wow, what could God do through this place? What could God do through this place? I look at the potential that we have, not only right here in our own community, but in our state and around the world, and I go, what would God do through this place? But folks, I believe the altar of our hearts have to be repaired first before we start to do the work of the service of the Lord. I believe we need to be careful to make sure that we're following the Lord, that we're rightly related with him. If there's sin in our lives, that we repent of it, we confess it, we agree with the Lord in it, we get right with him first, and then we get right with one another, and we join arms, and we lock shields, and we move together, standing firm in what the word of God has to say, by faith, because we know that God is a big God, and God is way beyond anything that we could ever ask or think he can do far more and accomplish far more than what we could even begin to dream of. And the question is, are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to lay our own agendas down? Are we willing to lay what we think down? Are we willing to take our numeric devices that we try to measure the infinite God with and lay it down and say, we want to follow the Lord. We want to walk with God, period. That's the point. That's why we're here. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to just stand. I want you to just take a moment and stand. And we're going to have a moment, and I'm going to invite you. I'm going to encourage you in this. To pray for our church family. Pray for Hoffmantown. And I'm going to encourage you. As the Lord leads you, there's no pressure in this. But as a church family, as a church family, are we willing to simply say, Lord, here we are. We are candidates for grace. We are candidates and we are in absolute need of you. 
So as the music plays, just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. And if you feel led to come forward, I want you to just kneel at the altar. I want you to just take a moment. I want you to pray for our church family. Pray for the unity of our church family. I want you to pray for the lost. I want you to ask the Lord if there's any sin in your life that needs to be repented of and confessed of. If there's anybody that would have anything against you that you would go to them and make it right. I want you to just take a moment and come before a holy God in the midst of this particular moment and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want of me? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to help? Is the altar of my heart right with you, Lord? Or does it need repair? Am I fitted for the service of the King? Or am I trying to do it in and of my own strength? Am I saying yes to you, Lord? Just come forward, come down, gather around, perhaps some of the friends up here that you have, some of the people that are in the midst of this. Maybe you would gather around some of the elders and the pastors and just pray. Take a moment, go before a holy God and say, Lord, we are candidates for grace. We need you. We need your strength. We need your power. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you magnified. We want to see you lifted high. We want to see people come to know Christ through this place. We want to see people made into disciples where they're brought to the cross and then they're encouraged with regard to what it means to walk with the Lord. Take a moment, you pray and you ask the Lord, is there anything in your heart that needs to be repented of, confessed of? What is God saying to you this morning? How is God leading you? I would ask you to make another commitment before God that we will not be a part no matter who it is, no matter where it might take place of creating division within this church body. We will not be a part of that. We will yield to the Lord. If there are issues that you have, concerns that you have, you absolutely can come to any one of us as elders or pastors in order to express those. We may not necessarily agree but friend, we will listen and we will take it to the word of God and we will look to see what is God saying? How are we being called to follow God? What is it that the Lord wants? Because the first question every believer ought to ask when presented anything is what does God's word say? What does God want? Are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to walk with him? Brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I implore you, walk with God. Follow God. Say yes to the Lord. Submit to him in everything. And I trust that the Lord, as we abide in him, will produce through us the fruit that he alone is able to accomplish and produce that he will glorify his name through us in a way 
that all of us will have the privilege and the opportunity to thank him for, to glorify his name, to praise his name. Take a moment, go before the Lord as the body of Christ, as the church at Hoffman Town. Let's make sure that altar is repaired, that altar of our hearts. Let's make sure that we're ready to serve the Lord. But in the midst of it, let's not get sidetracked. Let's keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he's the author and finisher of our faith. Would you stand for a moment, those of you who are perhaps kneeling, just grab one another's hands all through this auditorium. Grab one another's hand. And let's go before our Lord. Father, I thank you so much that you're here with us. I thank you for who you are. You're the great almighty king. We have the privilege of serving you, of knowing you, of walking with you, of experiencing you. We desperately need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your power. Lord, if left to ourselves, we would never be unified. If left to ourselves, we would always have division and factions. And Lord, I pray that you would unify this body around you and around your glory and around who you are. That we would learn to die to self, die to our own thinking and our own understanding, that we would literally trust you no matter what. Father, I pray that you would heal this body of believers. Lord, as the shepherd of this church, my heart is broken when I see division I pray, Father, that you would do a work in and through this body in a way that will honor and glorify you. Lord, that it wouldn't be about us, it wouldn't be about Hoffmantown, it wouldn't be about us striving to do something for you, but rather that we would come together as the people of God and say it's about you, it's about what you're able to do, it's about your glory, your honor, your kingdom, it's about your will. And we're just thankful to have the privilege to be a part. Lord, I love these people. I love this church. You know that. Lord, you've called me to this. People have asked me, when am I leaving? How much more can I take? Or my life is not mine. It's not my calling. And so, Father, I thank you by your grace you are teaching me, growing me. I thank you for our elders. I thank you for their love for you. I thank you for our pastors. I thank you for our leaders within this body. Lord, I pray that in everything, 
you would be glorified. You would be lifted high. That when people come here, they won't say, wow, what a great church, supposedly, or they won't say, what a great sermon, or a great pastor, or a great, they will say, what a great God. What a great God. They experience you when they walk into this place because they experience you through each and every one of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd accomplish that. We can't do that. I pray that you would do that and that you would do it through each and every one of us, each and every one of our hearts. Lord, you know our needs. We need a family pastor. Lord, I pray for the man that you would have to come alongside of us and to help with our students and with our children, with college, the next generation ministries. Father, would you accomplish that? We don't wanna just settle because we have a need. We wanna trust you and walk with you in the midst of it. Father, I love you, I thank you for your grace. I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I know these things are difficult, but I pray that we would grow through it. That we would recognize your heart. Lord, we love you. And I pray that you would accomplish in and through this body of believers revival, that you would accomplish in and through this body of believers an awakening within this city, within this state, within this nation, within the world, that you would be glorified, you would be honored, you would be lifted high. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for how good you are. And I praise you because you alone are worthy of worship and praise. And in Jesus' great, great name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. 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 God bless you all. Thank you.